0: Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, it's a wild one. We are talking about Gaspar Noe's Climax. Um, this is a crazy, weird movie, and it's one that I wanted to get up, even though it's in very limited release and might not still be in theaters. Usually when a movie is already like about to be gone from theaters, I will hold off until the VOD release but it is still in some theaters and it really deserves to be seen on a big screen. So I wanted to do this episode maybe, you know, if it if it gets a couple of extra people into the seats, I will be happy because this movie is crazy and unique and interesting. It's about a uh, French dance troupe who are uh after their rehearsals for their upcoming performances, they decide to take the night off and have some sangria. But unfortunately, someone spiked the sangria and everybody begins to lose their mind. Um, it is a very weird movie, very cool movie, very interesting, and like I said, unique. Uh, joining me for this one is Chris Cranock. And uh, before we jump into the conversation, I do want to remind you to please make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. And you can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And I'll tell you a bunch of other stuff to do after the conversation. But for now, let's get into it. (music) All right, back on the show with us, Chris Cranock. How you doing, Chris?
1: I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me back.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I, I just upgraded my studio with this monitor, so I'm like looking over it at you. It's kind of weird. I but, like it. Yeah, like you're peeking over it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I see your full <laughs> face though, which is good. Yeah, you know? I can still see all yeah. the way up to the chin. The people at home have no clue what I'm talking about, but maybe I'll take a picture at some point. Yeah, and, that's a good idea. Know, but uh... <laughs> as long as I can see your eyes, your beautiful eyes. Thank you. All very that matters. Much. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> um, speaking of beautiful eyes we're talking about Gaspar Noe's Climax. Oh, yeah. Was that any kind of transition? I don't know if that made sense at all. I don't think so. No. I went with it. All right. Well, Climax <laughs> is uh, absolutely crazy movie. Um, one, I, I actually have only seen Irreversible of his films. Okay. I always wanted to see Into the Void, just never quite got around to it. And I was going to watch it in anticipation of our conversation today and uh-huh. just didn't get a chance to, but...
1: uh Yeah, I mean, some of his films are harder to track down. I mean, they're typically not rated. You know, they yeah. don't get a, a wide release. Uh I think Climax has been the, the most accessible, maybe, besides sure. Irreversible. The first one that I saw was Irreversible, and that left a very la- a lasting impression sure. on me. And uh, and then for me, Enter the Void and movie that he made called Love, which is mm. very explicit, basically pornography with a three D right. ejaculating penis. <laughs> like I, what I like about Noé is that he takes a lot of risks and he's very bold. Uh, sometimes it works better times than others. You know what I mean? Sometimes Mm. it's like the shock value, I think kind of eclipses the movie. Right. Um, but I really admire the guy, even though I don't like love everything that he makes. I really admire him. And I think I really loved and admired climax, which is cool.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. This is, I mean, right up front, I guess we're both going to say we love this movie. Um, right. It's one, it's the first movie this year I've seen twice in the theater. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's such a, uh, such an experience of a movie. I mean, it's just, there's so much to it. It's, it's, uh, it's, like I said earlier, it's just a crazy film. And it was really, really enjoyable in a way if you're into things that are, you know, like that, that are really kind of just like mind bending in a way, you Mm -hmm.
1: know? Yeah, that's the thing is like, you know, there's, there's never any like set roadmap of like what, uh kind of creative risks you can take and what are what's too self-indulgent and like in this particular film it starts at the ending and you know yeah. ends at the beginning and yeah and then kind of taking the pulp fiction idea to an extreme it's like hey, you have to watch the end credits first and yeah you know and it's there. A, there were a couple cute things in there that were like a little cutesy and at the very first, I was like, okay. I was like, we're going to just do this. You know, this is a little bit easy. A little easy.
0: <laughs> which was kind of done in uh, Vox Lux as well, which yeah. we just spoke about. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. It's true. But, but as soon as, I mean, quickly, any of those reservations, they just went away. They evaporated because yeah. the movie was so hypnotic. And the thing about the movie is, you know, we're going to talk about its influences today. And it really sure. wears its influences on its sleeve. Oh, yeah. But what's so cool about the movie, in my opinion, is that it, Transcends those influences that it's so open about and so transparent about, and saying I was influenced by this or this is what it's going to be like, and yet it's like wholly original. You know, it walked that fine line. I don't know how it did it, but I haven't seen anything like climax before, even though I've seen all the references and blah 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 blah. It still was extremely unique and exciting and palpable and terrifying and and cinematic.
0: Absolutely, and you know, I mean, we might as well jump right in. So we kind of discussed this ahead of time in lieu of a first puzzle piece. Um, You're going to kind of take us through because... And I'm glad you're here for this episode, because I know as I was watching it the first time and I saw all of the VHS tape sitting <laughs> yeah. around the, the TV screen, uh, which happens up on the screen, yep. um, y- you just know that these are movies that were inspirational for Gaspar Noe. Um, I mean, right off the bat, I saw Suspiria on there. And so mm-hmm. I just knew I mean, that clued <laughs> me in right away. Oh, well, I know this is about to be a crazy horror dance movie. Yeah, and, scary uh, dancing. Yeah. So I know <laughs> we're, we're, we're looking at inspirations right here. So yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean to kick off getting into inspirations. Why don't you run us through some of these? Because I'm sure you've seen quite a few of those.
1: Yeah, I've been very fortunate to be able to see. I think all of them. Yeah, right? I remember? Yeah, I believe so. Nice. So I, I'm not going to name all of them because there is a lot, I and mean, we won't don't have the time to talk about every single one of them. Sure. But uh, yeah, so the thing is, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, uh, one of the opening shots of the film is going to be a static shot of a TV, and on either side of the television is going to be a list of movies like a VHS tapes, and the other side is books. And uh, it's a very obvious way of saying, hey, these are the things that are influencing me. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but the the, the shot is long because it plays several audition tapes for these dancers talking about why they want to join this dance troupe. And this is a theme that is started in this particular shot that goes throughout the entire movie, which is kind of testing the audience. There's long (laughs) takes. It's not cutting right away. It's redundant. So there's several videos over and over again of different people talking, answering questions. And it kind of gives you time to look around the frame. Yeah, You know, it's, it's, it's letting you go, Hey, look, explore all these titles. So, um, that was a fun balancing act of like, do I want to watch what's on the screen? Are these people speaking or do I want to look at the
0: movies? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> anyway,
1: so a couple of the movies that were listed in that shot were a movie called, it was a movie called Shivers, which is a David Cronenberg film. And, uh, I think this is definitely a big influence on, on, uh, on this film climax. Uh, David Cronenberg is a famous kind of really insane Canadian filmmaker <laughs> that does, yeah. A lot of what's like a subgenre called body horror. Yeah, yeah. And it's not. And I don't think that uh, Gaspar Noe is necessarily a body horror person, but I think the human physical form plays a, a dramatic role. Maybe not to the extent of Cronenberg. Yeah. But there's something so bodily about climax, in particular, in his other films. With movies like Love, it's very s- sexy and pornographic. To a movie like Climax, it's just the the ang- the physical anguish of, of the horror. So I think David Cronenberg was a huge influence there. Mm-hmm. Um. Of course, the thing that popped out first was Sallow or the One Hundred Twenty Days of Sodom, which the Pasolini, I guess you can call it a masterpiece. Uh, um, <laughs> it really is a masterpiece of of uh, of disturbing filmmaking., uh, It's a political allegory movie uh, made by a, an Italian filmmaker named uh, Pablo Pasolini, Pierre Pablo Pasolini, and who uh, <clears throat> was actually shot down in the street by a lover. He had his own torrid life. Um but it's a political allegory about what he felt fascism was doing. To Italy. So where he felt in a political realm, the fascists uh, were basically raping the innocence of Italy. He used that. And now it's an aristocratic group of people that represent the fascists. And it's only teenagers that represent uh, the people of Italy. And so these these aristocratic people force a bunch of teenagers into a mansion and they torture them horrendously. (laughs) And they make them you can't have females can't have sex with males and vice versa. So males are forced to engage in homosexual sex against their will. There's a famous sequence of uh, a girl having to bend down and eating feces off the ground mm-hmm. and a bunch of kids putting nails in their mouth. It's a horrifying movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and what's really disturbing about Salo? Uh, it's probably, I mean, easily maybe one of the most disturbing films of all time, is that we're so accustomed to these movies like Hostel, which are these right. you know graphic films, and there's almost kind of a cartoonish quality about them. But Sallow is, is such a serious art film that's so well crafted
0: and so well made that
1: it's unnerving even more so.
0: Right. It's disturbing yeah. v- versus just being like gore porn.
1: Yeah, different. exactly. It's, I mean, it's, and I can definitely see just the mentality that Noe was, is influenced by Pasolini because it was so, such a bold uh, film and statement, truly horrifying movie. In fact, I showed it at Mondays, the free art house cinema that I'd love to bring back from the dead and keep showing free movies that I used to host with uh, Vivian Martin, my friend. And uh, we showed, Sallow, and we had almost a 100% walkout. Um, it, almost, it was packed, and there was one person that stayed in the back. And there was and this is the ironic part is there's these like horrible images of kids getting scalped and all these things. And then there's just like one explicit shot of two men having sex, mm-hmm. and the guy behind me was like, Fuck you, Craynock. <laughs> And I, was, and I was like, that's the thing. That's like That's the, thing. the one. This is the least disturbing moment. It's kind of a relief. I'm relieved <laughs> right. to watch this after just watching a child. That's be an scout. act of love. Right. right. I was like, this, in the context of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is a beautiful moment. And I'm getting a fuck you from that. Anyway, so I won't ramble on all these titles, but those are just some of the more important ones. Own uh, the Andalou, which is the uh, iconic surrealist film made by Luis Bunuel. And Salvador Dali, uh, which uh, basically changed cinema entirely. You've probably seen at least an image from it of a, of a girl getting her eyeballs slit with a straight razor. Uh, that was on the list. That's a brilliant film. Uh, what I was extremely surprised to see on that list was the inauguration of the Pleasure Dome, which is a short film by a crazy guy from the 1930s called Kenneth Anger. And uh, he was as angry as his name sounded. He was a, a one of the first openly homosexual filmmakers in uh, America. Uh, he made a lot of short uh, features on film that were extremely surreal. Uh, the Pleasure Dome film is kind of a biblical send up with kind of a d- demonic imagery type film, kind of an Aleister Crowley type uh, aesthetic uh, where the, all these different biblical characters and literary characters and historical characters kind of work and function and move around this Pleasure Dome. Really interesting to see that. Uh, of course the original Suspiria was on there. A movie called Zombie was on there, a very famous zombie movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then a movie called Quarrel, which is kind of a, it's a French word for quarrel, like a fight. And that was made by the uh, the great uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender, one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. And uh, that was actually his last film, which was released posthumously after Mm -hmm. he was found dead in his hotel room in Cannes, France, (laughs) during the Cannes (laughs) Film Festival. Um, So yeah, those were the main ones on the list that I wanted to talk about briefly that were actually shown up on the screen saying, hey, this is really what what influenced us and so not only do you get from a cinematic standpoint Mm -hmm. you know these okay these movies feel a little bit like climax but it's more about i think the philosophy of the filmmakers um you look at fassbender he was an anarchist Mm -hmm. in in a lot of ways he'd make entire feature films in 11 days um and he people that worked for him had to quit because they couldn't they couldn't keep going at his pace. Right. Uh, he was a political filmmaker. His One of his famous quotes was, I don't throw bombs, I make films. So <laughs> Fassbender was a fascinating guy, another very uh, open homosexual uh, director, which was, of course, very kind of taboo in the 70s. So That was interesting. Um, and uh, then Pasolini, of course, and Bunuel. These are all subversive filmmakers, which I think uh, Noe either is our Pasolini of today or desperately wants to be our Pasolini of today. So I think the... What all those titles have in common was like an exploitative quality, and was a um, was basically a, a provocative quality of like, right. how do I get under your skin? And these are the movies that helped me do this. Yeah. Uh, and like I said before, though, going back to wrap this little speech up, uh, climax still transcended all these things. Right. It still right. had its own vibe. It still had its own feeling. And it's at, now I think is worthy to be added to a lot of that that list up front.
0: Yeah, I, I I find it really interesting to uh to to kick a movie off this way with with showing a scene like that where you're just kind of just laying it bare like these are my influences and I'm not I'm not afraid of that like I feel like sometimes with this show um you know you kind of run into the whole thing of like do filmmakers really want their influences <laughs> yeah. you know displayed sure but, i mean there he is just putting it right out there you know and i think that's interesting
1: yeah the thing is that when i first saw it because it is the uh, one of the opening shots of the film the second shot or something um i thought man is this brave or is this kind of cowardly right right I, you know i was like is this just is this trying to cut us off at the mount and say okay i know it's like these you know i mean if and these are pretty sophisticated references. The yeah. average audience isn't gonna be knowing most of these films, unfortunately, I think yeah. these movies are out there for people to see, and hopefully they do because they're they are extremely good films um and so at first, I was kind of like, oh, you know what is this is mm-hmm. this is this a stunt all right you know and <laughs> uh you know and that and then but then, as soon as the film really started, all those things quickly melted yes, away and, I was, and I, then in hindsight i thought saw saw it as a very brave thing. Yeah. As being like, yeah, this is where I come from. This is, you know, I'm the flower of their manure, to put it in a pretty poetic way. <laughs> uh, and so, yes, I come from these people, and yes, I'm inspired by them, but, you know, I have my own vision. Yeah. And that's a really cool thing. I Absolutely. mean, I run into that all the time. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, 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 like, I like to think about it where um, I never deliberately reference anything in my films. I never deliberately say, okay, I want to model something after this. And that's because I feel like my influences are so deeply ingrained in me anyway. Yeah. That I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to it's going to happen. I'm going to make something that's similar. Yeah, I feel like I'm always making The Shining. I think I mentioned that to <laughs> you. I'm just constantly making The Shining. Right, right. And I can't help that. It's just in my DNA now. Yeah. So I'll, I'm never going to just make a scene that to me was like, okay, well, here's a little nod to The Shining because I'm already doing that. Right. And as long as I'm true to the film and true and, you know, and movie isn't about me, it's about whatever story I'm telling, mm. then I my, my instinctual choices will be honest and they will also already have the seeds of all my influences in, in there. Mm. So that's, you know, I don't know. This was kind of weird. It's kind of cool
0: yeah i think it's cool and you know one more point about this before we move on to some more puzzle pieces is uh i thought it was kind of interesting as well uh that jordan peele did the same thing in us uh just a couple weeks ago uh i was pretty surprised to see that you know it's weird when an idea happens twice in one year it's pretty random but uh especially those two
1: different filmmakers very different filmmakers Yeah. yeah
0: um well, yeah i think uh they had chud on there and they had mm. uh home alone yeah, maybe the right stuff the right stuff which right are, which
1: is also referenced in captain marvel she picks up the right stuff yeah that's right so i don't know what's going on with that apparently it's the right stuff yeah <laughs> there you go you did it Yeah, you did there, you, it. there you go I'm, I'm good night everybody yeah good night everybody <laughs> <laughs> i uh, learned the rules of the game from watching the rules of the game
0: nice old robert altman quote <laughs> oh man all right let's go on to some more puzzle pieces um so since uh you just did all those i guess i'll go with my first i guess yeah (laughs) so uh my first puzzle piece is a movie i love to talk about and that is darren aronofsky's mother yep um you know it's such an obvious comparison but that just that constant build of like this is starting off kind of crazy and it's just getting more and more <laughs> crazy as it goes yeah um it, it, it's a very a very similar style very similar uh, like uh I would say tempo almost of that buildup, you yeah. know, um, and just crescendoing to just pure madness. And, uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I haven't seen many films that are able to, um, build tension and not keep it the same the whole time, but to be able to truly build upon it constantly mm-hmm. and constantly and really make, uh, really make that craziness bigger and fuller and just just harder it seems harder to really continue to pull off but it does continue to one-up itself
1: yeah it's one of those things i think i mean i couldn't agree more i think there's definitely a big parallel because when i when i think about mother back when mother came out it felt like such an angry movie and i like angry Mm -hmm. films Sure, i like movies that the filmmaker is pissed off and you know one of my all-time favorite films is a movie called um the thief, uh, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent Peter Greenaway film, and it's angry. It's just burning with with frustration at the political this and the societal that, and it's you know it's just you know wearing its heart on its sleeve, yeah. and it's pissed off. And when I saw Mother, I felt okay. Darren Aronofsky's pissed. Oh yeah, and uh, I don't really find this. I don't think there's the same political motivation in uh, climax as there is Mother. Yeah, but when I think of like when I think of the political climate when Mother came out, no one was expecting it. Right. Uh, Darren Aronofsky was a pretty experimental filmmaker with movies like Pie and Rec Room for a Dream, which was extremely challenging. Yeah. But he had gone on to have more mainstream success, and you know, Natalie Portman won an Academy Award, and he had done Noah, which was like this really weird movie that no one really knew what to do with, but it had a huge summer blockbuster budget. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like this weird little, you know, film. No one really can put his, their their thumb on him. And then he came out with Mother, and I think it was a shock to the system for American audiences. And so I think just to kind of expand on what you said, I think that Noé was probably saw that film and was deeply inspired to go like, okay, if this is coming out in America, someone's going to release this movie. Yeah, maybe I can make, you know, I could, I could do something similar that is going to be a jolt to the system. Yeah, and you're right; they all kind of un- they're they are the structure of un- of unraveling. Yeah, they kind of unravel, and that's how the movie. Because they're not very plot oriented, either of them. Right, you know, right. They're set up and punchline. It's yeah. almost
0: like experience. Like yeah, experiential they're all experience movies. based. Yeah,
1: they're very idea driven. Mm. They're not plot driven. And typically, when you don't have a strong plot, that allow that opens you up to be more. And this is a word that I use: cinematic. Yeah, the thing is, that's a subjective term, and people would define it differently than I define it. Right. But I try to think of cinematic as you know not being beholden to dialogue, being able to explore the story in more abstract visual ways using sound design to tell your story using Mm -hmm. color to tell your story using your camera and these were both films mother and um climax that abandoned a traditional plot and was able to just create an atmosphere yeah yeah that to me that's ultimately cinematic so i definitely see a huge parallel there
0: absolutely uh you know one last point on that is uh another thing about mother is i feel like Probably a lot of the films, obviously, uh, you know, this podcast wasn't around when Mother came out, but probably a lot of the films that we would have pointed to as inspirations for uh, Aronofsky would have been on this list as well for, sure. for this one.
2: Sure. Yeah. The
1: thing is, Darren Aronofsky is kind of an artsy fartsy guy. You know, he comes yeah. from the, the European film school that I was really a part of and grew up watching mm-hmm. and admiring. And also, but there's also, with, I think, what's great about more modern American filmmakers is like we could look at the austere european films uh you know fellini and bergman but there's also kind of this b movie grindhouse midnight movie side that sure. we all kind of experience too of you know pink flamingos and el topo and zombie and like you know so it's this weird merging of the highbrow versus the down and dirty yeah and i think that's probably a uniquely i mean i mean Noé is is uh french but there's something almost he fits in i think when like you know it's funny. This is kind of ironic because climax like takes a lot of pride in being a French film. Yeah, it has like a banner. It's like this is a hundred percent French or something along. Those yeah, lines. yeah. <laughs> but but to me, that's a very American gesture. Right. Right. Have, right. To have like this a, this national pride. I think like, it's tongue in cheek. Like, I think so. Yeah. I don't y- think yeah. he was making it seriously. Yeah. But it's very American. I think climax. You know, I expected it to play for like thirty six hours in America, and now yeah. it was in the biggest theater at a casino. Yeah. It's been there for three weeks. Yeah. It's crazy. So I think it's doing better than anyone anticipated. Although I don't know if you know, nobody's a genius like this. But he might have known this could have done better in America than he than any of his other films.
0: Right. I yeah. don't know. I don't
1: I, know. I'm just speculating.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm not sure, but uh, but I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's such a weird movie. I I'm glad that it's uh getting a little more successful than maybe anyone thought it would be. Me too. Yeah. It should be seen. Yeah, absolutely. It should be
1: seen because just from an experience, I can't remember a time when I was so uneasy.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was truly uneasy in the movie. (laughs) Absolutely. So uh, what's your uh, next puzzle piece?
1: All right, so I'll do an obvious one, get it out of the way. I'm pretty positive this wasn't in that opening shot that I discussed earlier. I think it's one that he may have just mentioned and that I think once you see it, you you know, there's a lot of parallels. It's a movie called Possession. Mm -hmm. So Possession was a movie made in 1981. Um, Relatively hard to see the original director's cut. Uh, because it was banned in a lot of countries and it was edited heavily. About 45 minutes were actually taken out of the American release. Wow. So, you know, heavily edited. But it was a very famous sequence of the female character who's slowly becoming possessed with this demon by making love to this demon monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has like a demonic breakdown in a subway, uh, kind of a like an underground tunnel. And uh, it's very, very famous and, and beautifully acted and terrifying. And I think there's a a quality to possession like almost like the sexualized although i think climax is ironically less sexy than i anticipated with a name like climax right and right. also seeing films like love and irreversible which are so heavy and sex dominated. It, it does
0: shy away from a lot of the sex like, shockingly yeah yeah
1: i was not expecting that yeah um what, but I also like that I didn't expect it. He he meant the climax was in a different way, in, right. a more film, in a more filmic way, a more cinematic way, as opposed to the sexual connotations to the word. So that's kind of cool. Mm. But yeah, po- uh, Possession, uh, I mean, I, entire sequences visually were even kind of similar to Possession, as well as content, and the kind of underlying dread mixed with sensuality. So I think uh, Climax probably owes quite a bit to Possession.
0: Yeah, I you know, I actually have never seen possession but i have been wanting to it's on my like short list of movies to watch because yeah. not only this but um i remember when mother came out just mm-hmm. to go back to that point i was just making yeah. i remember that was one of the number one things that people were bringing up is yeah. like you know this is so much like possession and i was yeah. like well shit i gotta see possession
1: <laughs> yeah apparently any wacky female character is yeah. like possession <laughs> yeah. you know and that's the thing you know it's, we, we have um just recently, are we getting more fleshed out, interesting female characters? Mm-hmm. And usually, prior to that, female characters were just kind of like these emotional breakdown type roles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's kind of interesting to see how influential a movie like Possession was, even though it was hard to get a hold of. Yeah, the 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 film uh, female actors in a lot of uh, the the director from Possession. He's a Polish gentleman, and his last name eludes me at this at this moment. But uh, he. He, they said that he treated women uh, like he feared them and he kind of abused mm. them in cinema. He made them go to the ends of the earth right. in their performance and he got all his frustration out that he actually had in real life. Right, He right. got out and kind of directing women. So there's a lot of misogyny intermixed with how fit we, women are projected in cinema and how they're kind of characterized. And so it's really interesting because I think we've gone past that. A movie like, I don't, I, I don't know if, where Kind of where I'm making the, drawing these, these strings trying to connect them. Uh-huh. But I feel like Darren Aronofsky was like the first generation of revisiting a character mm-hmm. like we found in Possession, mm-hmm. which had this kind of misogynistic stamp on it. Right. And now I think in a movie like Mother, maybe even more so than Climax, where the women characters are celebrated. She's the Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. The villain really is the Javier Bardem character. So we take the same similar formula of this woman, woman idea kind of breaking down. And yet, we're seeing two opposite sides of it. We're seeing the the demonic witch that's you know his he wrote it during a divorce for possession, and then we have the mother character, which is like Mother Earth, which is we all want to come back to her. Right. I don't know. It's just interesting that like you can take two sides of the exact same thing, and as long as your philosophical idea is different, it makes it a very different movie. For sure. I guess the ultimate point I'm trying to ramble and make. (laughs) But yeah, no. Sorry, everybody, for, for all that. But it's just interesting. Both you should watch them side to side and really see. The different approach. You yeah, know, these movies are all about ideas. Yeah, and so you can take a similar formula ultimately, and you can make different political com- comments, and you can make different movies with different visions with very, very similar materials.
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, speaking of you know making political statements with movies, um, uh, th- this one's one of our buckets that we sometimes do, or it's more of just an overall thing. Uh, zombie movies in general okay. is something that. Uh, I felt was an inspiration for this movie, Um, you know, major spoiler alert, of course, although we always expect everybody to have watched the movie when they listen to this. But, um, you know, these people have drank in some sangria that's been spiked with LSD and uh, they're all absolutely losing their fucking minds. (laughs) And um, as they're starting to lose their shit, I mean, they are just kind of, they're just Kind of almost reverting to like an animalistic kind of state of being where there's there's not really much consciousness left to a lot of them. They're just dancing and the dancing starts to look almost zombie-ish in a way as they're just like kind of stomping and moving their way through the rooms Mm -hmm. and everything and there there just doesn't really seem to be much uh much brain power involved anymore they're all on autopilot and in in a very a very strange animal kind of way and that's you know kind of what the best of zombie movies do
1: yeah, I think so, too. I mean, at their core, zombie films kind of started as political films. Mm-hmm, you know I mean, yeah. and, and, You know, we have like what Dawn of the Dead is about consumerism and yep. all these kind of big, broad brushstrokes of what they're kind of are meant to represent. And now we've totally gotten away from that in the sure. genre. You know, now it's more <laughs> traditional horror stuff. But yeah, they were like very idea-driven films. Yeah. And uh, even programming Night of the Living Dead, the first you know, black main character, the hero character, for you know, for the yeah, most part, yeah. in cinema. So they had a a lot of heft to them, and yeah, but no, I agree. I feel like there's there's an animalistic quality to the dancers, and why I thought to myself, like, well, why are they dancers? Like, why? You know, what's with this evil dancing thing? I you know, I had just seen the remake of Suspiria. i had yeah. seen the original Suspiria, and I was like, what's going on with dancing? Why yeah. is that so evil? <laughs> but I think it's because uh, I think where the parallel comes from is that it's such a uh, kind of consciousness you know we we just do things uh physically and sometimes our the emotion or the music kind of takes over and right you're not letting that you i'm a big over. dancer yeah <laughs> <laughs> not that i'm a big dancer but i feel like when you see someone who's really great at dancing yeah they let go and there's almost they're almost out of control yeah so i think that there is a nice visual parallel to be made between the zombie movements of someone who's brain dead yeah and really being you know having this drug take over their brain but also just you know, why they're dancers in the first place is because they're more, they submit more to their bodies than their brains to begin with.
0: Yeah, yeah and you know while we're talking about the dancing for a quick second just to say uh, some of the choreography is fantastic oh I mean God, yeah. I, from what I understand they uh, they a lot of it is kind of improv-ish mm-hmm. like you know they just let these people go and do the thing that they do yeah. um, but I mean like that first opening number is like yeah. freaking ridiculous that's like, the only so one that's cool. choreographed is it? yeah everything okay.
1: else is improv-, uh, improv but that so opening, much cool stuff yeah though. that's a one take Yeah, so they shot that entire thing without editing there's no shots there's no cut uh, it's just one take, and that is the only one that's actually choreographed. But wow.
0: it's stunning. Yeah, and the other ones are amazing too. Like I really love the uh, the one where it's shot from a, a overhead. Above, yeah. Oh my god! It like it just it doesn't even look real. Like it doesn't look like human bodies like moving. Right. Like that, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's weird.
1: That's a great uh, example of like what a certain angle can do. Where yeah. you put your camera from above, and then of course your subjects, and how those two things relate together. But yeah, it's hypnotic. Yeah. I think that I, I mean. This sounds kind of cavalier and simple, but I, I definitely think Noe attempts to hypnotize you sure, in the sense of like a magician. Mm. His movies are disorienting. His movies will catch you off guard, which I think makes the, if they're scary, makes it heightened. Right. Or if it's sexy, makes it heightened. Or it makes it, is it tragic? It's, you know, all those things feel very heightened. Yeah. I remember the beginning of Irreversible, where the camera's basically just spinning like on a corkscrew, essentially and we see these horrific violent images but we can't make out 90% of it. Yeah. And it's even scarier because we can't quite see everything and we're kind of knocked off the curb. We don't really know where we're at and the disorienting factor becomes hypnotic. And that's even with the music speaking of dancing. The music oh, yeah. is endless. Yeah, electronic
0: and music just like, yeah, for 90 minutes loop. straight. I yeah. don't think
1: I don't think there's except for the very beginning when they speak. I'm not sure there's times without music. Yeah. So it becomes this relentless hypnotic feeling. And it's and it's scary
0: yeah <laughs> it's <laughs> troubling to yeah, say the least absolutely yeah. uh what's your next puzzle piece so
1: i'll just do a quick one because i don't want to expand on it too much there's a movie called frostbitten okay and uh people go crazy after their punch ball gets spiked
0: <laughs> yeah that that sounds like a inspiration to this movie. yeah
1: that's the shortest thing i've ever said on this show
0: by the way all right so again spoilers but um am i an awful person or did you also laugh when the kid when they cut to the kid drinking a little bit of it and you're like oh no <laughs> well <laughs> oh, god damn it well
1: no. <laughs> no yeah i don't know if i laughed but i definitely was like fuck uh, yeah and what's his name tio uh
0: i Tito? think tio so. T- T- i think, I think yeah. tio i was like yeah. tio what are you doing man
1: <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: oh, go to no, bed tio. man
1: (laughs) no uh yeah so no i yeah no you're not a terrible person and it's funny and not to get like overly academic with this kind of thing but it's just worth mentioning and i think i've mentioned this before when we've talked about scary movies but like there's such a a a relationship between horror movies and comedy films yeah yeah. and and you because i think it's a similar response like laughter is a response to pressure, yeah, and that's what we feel. You know, sometimes when you're scared, you're like, huh, oh, oh, because you're frightened, and the first thing that comes out is you laugh, yeah. And that's one of, the, one of it's funny that you mentioned that because when that scene happened, I actually had a like reaction. I was like, oh boy, yeah. because <laughs> yeah. because there's a certain okay. That's the thing. That's an interesting critique because it's it's relatively predictable mm-hmm. that you know something's happened to that kid. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. But
1: now it's no longer a ma- no longer a matter of what's going to happen, but how it happens.
0: Right, right. And
1: that it's almost like you know when you watch the Titanic you go in knowing they're sinking yeah i mean there's not there's no mystery and if they're gonna hit the, the iceberg now it's a matter of what happens on the way to the iceberg mm-hmm. and so i think climax because the wheels start falling off and we quickly as an audience start feeling it out and like oh this is not good the, yeah. dre- the dread is so thick you have to yeah. brush it away from your face that uh yeah it's definitely not about surprise as opposed to uh i guess maybe it's you're surprised to see how it all actually unfolds. Sure. More than what sure. what is happening itself.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, T.O., I knew he was going to go. Yeah, poor T.O. I loved how he went,
0: though. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we, was can so we abrupt. Mention sure. <laughs>
1: so, his mom, here, real quick, a recap for anyone who hasn't seen it. His mom <laughs> realizes they're all on acid and mm-hmm. shit's going south, not going well. And trying to be a good mom, but in a really stupid French acidy way, (laughs) is like, I'm going to stick my child into a very dangerous closet with a power supply, some type of, you know, janky power supply. Exposed Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, don't touch it. And then locks him in. And so, okay, like, again, as an audience, we're going, he's fucking going to touch it. He's going to die. Yeah. So it's, again, it's not what's going to happen we know but now it's like when right when so now now, not that's what's interesting about this thing it's worth talking about for a second because at first we said okay we know what's going to happen yeah now it's a question of how Well, with the kid we know both those things are removed now it's like when yeah (laughs) we know he's gonna die and we know how he's gonna die when is it gonna happen yeah and it was so i thought to myself oh is this gonna be effective like i'm gonna be able to pull this off and then off screen, yeah, we're in some other room. Yeah, much later. Much like later. 30 minutes later or something. The, yeah, the mom's looking for the key, because now she lost the fucking key <laughs> to get the kid out of the closet, which is a brilliant stroke. I love that. But she's, like, searching <laughs> for the key. And all of a sudden, the power just goes out for, like, a split second. And then they all celebrate, because they're high on acid, <laughs> and Tio's dead. And you just hear, like, a thud. <laughs> And then the mom screams.
0: And the one dude's like, Don't worry, I got my ghetto blaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The music keeps going. So we could keep the music going. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> that's what's important. This
1: is not good podcasting because we're just rambling <laughs> describing sequences. I love but it. But it's it. it's worth talking about. I just like that he did. That's the thing is, you know, we, we try to get inside movies, especially with podcasts like this. We you know we try to understand movies better. For people that are just a movie the people that are, that are filmmakers, you know, I think this could be potentially a uh, informational program. Sure. You know? And not just because we know everything. That's an informational for me. Yeah. Conversations are really how I absorb things and I learn things or I see them in a different light. So it's cool to me that you'd think on the surface, well, you don't, you want to keep suspense. You don't want to tell your audience how, when, where. Yeah. You, know, you want to keep all those things hidden. Yeah. But it's not necessarily just playing that card every time you know you can take something and you can use the audience's anticipation against them as long as it's a fresh way to do it yeah so if there are no rules in a nutshell there's no right way to do it or no right way to make a scary movie but if you have the vision and you can think outside the box it's usually more effective
0: absolutely Well, speaking of visions in scary movies, my next puzzle piece.
1: That was a good one. That's
0: a good transition. Nice. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So this might seem a little just out of nowhere here, but follow me. Um, The movie Event Horizon.
1: Oh, oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) The best uh, hell sequences ever. Yes.
1: And Sam Neill is also in possession.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah um so yeah no event horizon scared the shit out of me as a kid it's horrifying uh, yeah it is so fucking scary and i know it's a silly movie it's but it's dumb. it's it's not a good movie <laughs> no. but it's so goddamn scary yeah it's scary and i would compare once things have really gone off the rails in this when the the camera is really on on the move yeah. and the, the lights have started blinking red and the music is really like crescendoing and like a constant like loop and Mm. everyone's dancing these weird dances. There were points, so I should mention I saw this movie the second time I was a little stoned. um, And by a little, I mean a lot of stone, (laughs) two stone. Um, But uh, I could swear, and maybe I got to watch it a third time to be sure of this, Uh, but some faces were distorting. Like, I mean, it was creeping me the hell out in the way Event Horizon did. Wow. Um, Okay. So it tapped in. Yeah. It tapped tapped into a primitive fear (laughs) of what hell is probably like. And it's a lot of French people dancing. Yeah. I'll go. Sign me. Yeah. I,
1: if You'd that's hell that, wouldn't you? yeah i would love
0: it i would love it
1: that's the best hell i could possibly imagine yeah, yeah. just kind of like a weird quasi gay like jam night and so a french weird. dance hall that better be
0: hell so freaking weird
1: yeah i'd start believing in hell if that was hell <laughs> someone started religion with that and y'all sign up but anyways yeah no i i you know, it's funny i like that you mentioned that because definitely feels weird like on the surface of how those things connect but they connect i think in because i feel like the scary parts of event horizon are so bone chilling yeah they really do i mean i I haven't seen it since i was a kid so maybe it's like going back and playing golden eye where you're like it's the best game ever and (laughs) it's not but but uh no event horizon uh, i know it's not a good movie but it is terrifying yeah those hell sequences
0: yeah they're just uh, whoever like set designed that or whatever production design it's like Oh my god! Their nightmares must be awful.
1: There, yeah, ex- yeah. Ex- exceptional. I agree. <laughs> and the girl's head catches on fire and uh, climax. Yeah, yeah. It starts being like hell.
0: Yeah, it's very hellish. It is. It is. Everything's red and black and mm. like. Yeah, well, that's funny.
1: This can, can this kind of segues. This sure. is one of those half-assed puzzle pieces that I want to get out of the way quickly because okay. I have such a long list. Mm. But I wanted to just mention that Noe is kind of a self-referential guy, and mm-hmm. so I think that irreversible is a big influence on this project. I think he kind of went back to, to some of his roots with this because I mean, with like, you know, end of the void, we get the neon element stuff, but in irreversible red really represented bad, bad stuff. Right. And I feel like no, he's one of those guys that it's extremely expressionistic. He's not, he's not going for realism and yet it's this weird dreamy fantasy realism. Like it feels brutally real because it's so violent and it's so scary. And it's so earthy. It gives you the illusion that it's realistic and the average audience member. And when I say average, I mean the, you know, the normal, not, you don't have to be, it's not saying you need to be super smart or anything. The the person who should be experiencing this movie, the average viewer, isn't going to be consciously thinking about what the light is doing to them on a subconscious level. That's not, if if they did think that the filmmakers would be failing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not saying, yeah, you should be in there critiquing it as it happens. But the thing is you tell you can tell your story via light and in those ways, or, and via color, and in those ways, he's extremely expressionistic. And It's like red, okay, we know something's bad going on. You know, yeah, green, yeah. You know, this is not how we really perceive light and color in our lives. And yet, because all the things that are happening seem so real, we don't even think about those expressionistic gestures. Sure. And then it, it just amplifies the terror that we feel. It actually makes reality feel more real or realer then, you know, even, even though there's all the details are, are morphed and strange and not realistic, mm-hmm. it actually makes the real elements feel realer. And that's a, a weird uroboros that I'm still trying to solve <laughs> when I create stuff. I'm like, well, how do I make something feel real or even though I'm deliberately altering it and then in essence, making it unreal. That
0: makes it exciting for yeah. you, I'd imagine.
1: I don't know. No. I'm always yeah. taking a gun out of my mouth. <laughs> you hear the sh- weird shit I just said? Making it realer while simultaneously making it unreal. It made sense to me. These are, yeah, these are conversations I have with no. me, myself and with my staff. And it's like, it's, it's always a challenge of how to pull it off. And uh, this was just insanely effective.
0: Yeah. Well, if nothing else, uh, speaking of irreversible, the spinning camera comes back again, at, the, yep. end of, uh, at yeah. the end of at the end of climax. Yeah, so. he
1: does. That's like his shtick. Yeah. <laughs> but again, uh, that's this. It's you know, I don't give a shit as long as it's effective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was I I wrote a thing. I watched a movie last year called the uh, the house that Jack built, and it's a Lars von Trier film, mm-hmm. and I didn't like it because it felt manipulative it's kind of a really dark comedy about a serial killer right and it's uh, this isn't a puzzle piece just kind of worth mentioning real quickly um but it's uh it's it's kind of lars von Trian in the sense that it's extremely provocative and it seems like it's smart but it's really not smart. <laughs> right, <laughs> they, right. They, I mean, in my opinion, there's a lot of diehard Von Trier people out there, so don't write any hate mail or anything. But for me, it's super hit and miss. You know, once you, I mean, he made uh, Breaking the Wave, so you can never take away his genius. Mm-hmm. But uh, the house that Jack built, this felt like him jerking off on the camera. I'm right. just tired of him jerking off. It's like He's like the Louis C.K. of filmmakers. <laughs> he's going to call you on the phone and jerk off. And that's what Lars Von Trier does with most of his cinema, especially now. And um, so it felt this, you know, and so, okay, so now fast forward to Climax, and it's another manipulative film, and it's going for shock, and it's just trying to get a response out of me. It's doing all the same things that Von Trier was trying to do. Why do I like Climax and not the house that Jack built?
0: Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: kind of going back to that theme that, like, there's no fucking rules. There's right. no way There, isn't. there isn't. It's because Climax was authentic. It was visceral. It made me actually connect to it. Yeah. I was transported. When I was watching the house that Jack built, it was a academic masturbatory, nonsensical jerk fest. yeah, <laughs> and I didn't feel emotionally connected to it. yeah you know, just because you, you know quote Dante doesn't mean you're smart. yeah. I mean, you can't just inject intelligence into something and therefore it's you know reference something that's yeah. you know scholarly and then it's smart. Climax, it has none of that. Yeah. Even though it has like all these references up front. Yeah. Here's all these smart movies. Are you an art house person? Do you know who Refn is? Do you know who you know, <laughs> you know who Pasolini is? Blah, blah, blah. You can take it as almost a challenge. And yet all that melts away. Yeah, And it's just this super powerful movie.
0: Well, while we're on this track, before we get to my next puzzle piece, uh, that yeah. makes me want to ask you, what do you think was the point of all this? Like, what, what do you think he's trying to say with this movie?
1: Nothing. I think he's trying to scare us. Yeah. I really do.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is enough mm-hmm. if it works
1: well. You know, if if I was actually scared, which I was, I think that's the right thing. I don't think that Noe is a philosopher. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has any real point. I think he actually made this movie because he it only had a five-page script. Mm-hmm. He made it quickly so that he could get into the festival circuit for 2017. Or I'm sorry, pardon me, 2018. Excuse me, I'm a year behind. No,
2: 2018.
1: Yeah. Um, That's it. He was Mm -hmm. like, I need something I can shoot on a low budget in a small place with few actors that I could do. And he set set a challenge for himself. What's amazing to me is that he's primarily a stylist Mm -hmm. and yet such an effective stylist at times that I can't knock him.
2: Right. I right. don't
1: think he's having I don't think he's saying anything in particular.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think maybe you can extrapolate stuff of like, you know, the human element is a beast within. You can sure, you sure. can put whatever you want on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, give us some alcohol, give us drugs and we become these base monsters. Yeah, yeah. So you can you can definitely bring some philosophy to it. Mm-hmm. Is there any really there? I don't know. But does that make it oh not a you no know, not as good of a film? And in my case, I think I was I I re- it resonated with me so much. It yeah. worked so well that I don't take any points away for it being a particular, you know, not a particularly smart, quote unquote, film. Sure, sure. So that and that's tough because it, you know, usually for me, the meat and potatoes of a movie is like a good idea, right? It's right. a strong philosophical concept or a challenging moral dilemma. Like I eat that shit up. You know, yeah. that's what I usually think. Oh, that that really makes the movie a step above, is it has all that all, all that stuff to it. Yeah. But then when you walk into a movie like Climax. It's it's an experience. Yeah. And all that stuff becomes less important.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I I, you know, there is a couple of like loose ideas of what I think this was about. But I think ultimately, they're all just kind of something I'm putting on it, you mm-hmm. know, where yeah. I, I don't think he really what like, I think he was kind of like make of it what you will. I just want to make some creepy shit and yeah. show a bunch of dancers dancing and yeah. really coolly shot. You know, scenes.
1: Yeah, it felt like a. It felt like a scientist in a laboratory. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, it felt like a person really in. That's like, so, I respect the craft of filmmaking as a person who makes films, and it's it's so hard to do and to do well and to pull all these strings together and make them work. It, it's really challenging, and so you see a filmmaker like him, who is really in command of his own brand of filmmaking Mm -hmm. you know he has a style he has a a thing he has a you know has a a gimmick with his cameras and things like that and they're always you know nc-17 or x-rated or not rated and he has like this whole thing about him you know and and you can kind of become bored with that it can kind of become uh predictable if you just talk about his films Mm -hmm. but if you go and watch his movies that's that's a whole different thing you know on paper He's boring. He's predictable. Nice. He's just a guy trying to get the get a rise out of us. A provocateur. Yeah, he's what I think <laughs> Lars von Trier really is, right, which is right. a boring provocateur. Yeah. I, I think Lars von Trier is boring as fuck. He's fucking boring.
0: <laughs> and he
1: he just bores the shit out of me. And it almost, the only reaction he gets is me being pissed at how bored I am, <laughs> which I think I guess counts. So good for him. I don't know. But... But, uh, so he's a provocateur before he's an artist. And for me, no, he is an artist before he's a provocateur, provocateur. I can't say that word several times in a row. That's a um, lot of times. It's a sorry. lot. It just yeah. broke down. It was yeah. just blah, blah, blah. Anyway. So, um, and so, yeah, so, you know, I, I know, I, I think I repeat myself every time I'm on here, but if it works, it works. <laughs> right. And that's like my only criteria. So, yeah, no, I don't think that, uh, that climax is going to you know, revolutionize modern philosophy. I don't think there's any like Schopenhauer mixed in there or anything <laughs> i think uh i think he wanted to mess around yeah. he wanted to try something i think he wanted to stretch his wings i think he wanted to make something the way that rander Werner fassbender would have made it or Lee would have made it but because he is a force mm-hmm. he really is he's a force uh not an intellectual force not an academic force but just this weird emotional shock force yeah. that uh that he pulls it off most okay. of the time so, yeah, I know that's a kind of a
0: convoluted answer, but... I, am, I like it. It works yeah. for me, man. It's such... It's a movie. It's a real movie. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's, 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 it's unique as shit, dude. It's yeah. super unique. The, it's
1: about... I mean, it tells its story with its camera. Yeah. It tells its story with its lighting. It tells its story with its sound design. Yeah. It tells its story with its performances. It had a five-page script. You know I mean? That's as cinema as you get, where you're telling its story solely through the feeling it gives the audience.
0: That's powerful you know one thing i thought after the first time i saw it is i would i'd kill to be able to have a music video that is a 90 minute this kind I, of a music could video do it. yeah Let's like do just it. a crazy just <laughs> it, freaking, it would be a ripoff but oh, we could just put the, the vhs copy yeah. of this
1: movie in the front of our music video I, i'd compose
0: <laughs> i'd compose 90 minutes of music that's like beat driven and just like oh just oh it'd be crazy well yeah. <laughs> it's one of those
1: things that like you know it's funny. It's, this is a thing that happens all the time. I want to steal it. Mm. You know, it's like so, fuck. Why didn't I do yeah, that? I, you know, I want to go make that, and then it's just going to be a bad version of that. Right, you know I mean, right. so you always resist to those urges, or hopefully you do. Yeah, like people that don't have the self control, they see something and go, okay, and then they make a bad version of it. You know, when I was a kid writing, I was the worst fucking Hemingway you ever heard of. you know what I'm saying <laughs> so, but so you just steal from your influences, and so you still have those urges sometimes. When I walked out of climax, I was like, oh, I could make a cheap movie in a room. It's super fucked up and crazy. Yeah, and then you realize, okay, that's not me though. So that that fantasy goes away. You know, yeah, it, it 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 flies away. But that I did feel that. Yeah, I was like, oh, I could do that, and I could do it well. But then you realize, nah, it's just gonna be that.
0: It'll be fun at least.
1: Yeah, maybe it just as like an <laughs> exercise.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I've got two more puzzle pieces, okay. so hey, uh, I'm gonna go with my next one and. This one might seem a little uh, out of left field as well, but um, I, this movie is kind of like a worst case scenario within a certain kind of a scene, uh, this club dance scene, you know? Um, and so a different kind of worst case scenario and a different kind of scene is Green Room um, oh, yeah. in, the, in that underground punk scene yeah. and things just going off the rails That's and a very getting, one. getting really violent and getting. Uh, Getting just kind of like a, a worst case scenario of a night in that kind of an environment, and um, and showing that kind of environment in a very uh, interestingly authentic way. Because I mean, I, I've never really seen it. I mean, I mean, you know, I'm not going to like point to like a Step Up movie or something like that, but I mean, I suppose you could. But um, I've never seen like that that dance scene really, you know. And mm-hmm. then to see that dance scene go off the rails and go completely insane is interesting. And, and it was super interesting in green room to see, uh, that, that, that punk culture, like really shown so raw and authentically. And then to see that crumble, you know? Yeah, Yeah.
1: that's true. That's actually a great one because I, I I have to maybe revisit green room because it didn't, really grabbed me when i saw it
0: it didn't get me the first time the second time i watched it i made myself watch it again because so many of my friends loved it so much yeah and the second time i mean it just fucking hit me
2: yeah i have to go back i loved it yeah i
1: mean i'd watch anything with patrick stewart yeah it's a little bit of a cheat (laughs) yeah but um but you know i'll have to revisit it because now that you mention it i I really see a parallel there and that's really cool so yeah i want to i want to see that i like that i mean what i love about what I did like about Green Room is that, like, the punk scene is so terrible. Oh, yeah. The punk scene is so, I think, like, intrinsic to childhood because mm-hmm. uh, it, it yeah, you know, this whole rebellion thing, and it's like it's basically just fantasy. It's like libertarianism. You know I mean? right, it's right. like a, it's like a big fantasy <laughs> yeah. that adults then, for some of them, still continue into their adult life. But like when you get <laughs> into punk. You know, and then it, it's haunting because you slowly realize that it's like inherently conservative, and you're like, "That's weird." Yeah, right. I didn't think. You know, so like it kind of you know creeps in on you. And I feel like uh, Green Room was cool because yeah, these are like violent, gross people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, this is not a good look. Yeah. for an adult person. Yeah. It's like people that read Bukowski past 18 years old <laughs> yeah. that's just not a good look right. you know yeah I mean it's right. like and that's the thing that's coming from a guy who was obsessed with Bukowski when I was 14 15, right. I wanted to be that dude he was the he was the Tom Waits of literature the mm-hmm. punk drunk and you know and I mean so trust me I mean I was I was ripping that guy off left and right but when you get a certain age it's just not it doesn't you just all that polish fades it's not sexy anymore right you know? right and it kind of reveals itself as being kind of dumb.
0: Unless you're Matthew McConaughey and the beach bum, and then it's still cool, no right. matter how old you get. Yeah, which is great, <laughs> right, because it kind of glorifies it. That was one of the things
1: I thought. I was like, this guy just glorifies. Yeah, that's like the, Bukowski, the eternal Bukowski. I don't know it was kind of funny.
0: What's your next puzzle piece?
1: Um, so I'm reference a movie from 2015, a more modern one. A movie called Victoria, and uh, it's uh, it now holds the record, as far as I'm aware, as the longest single take movie. Of all time, it's 135 minutes, hmm. and it's a single take. Uh, before that, it was the very first film to do it. Was a movie called Russian Ark, uh, which is a beautiful movie. It's 90 minutes, and it goes through a Russian uh, museum and kind of goes in and out of history and time. Uh, very elaborate. Took three takes to actually be able to shoot it all in one a choreographed take. But anyway, so Victoria, uh, not only is the long take something that influenced uh, Noe because he. Uh, did a lot of long takes in climax. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. A lot of
1: unbroken things. Because another big thing about climax, I think, is that it was purposefully testing our patience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It, you know, for instance, the movie's done in in basically segments. So we have the opening sequence we mentioned, where people are talking into the video camera or into, into the television. Then we have like these little weird scenes of people chatting around yeah. the dance studio, which goes on for like twenty minutes. Oh yeah. And then we have another twenty-minute sequence of people dancing from above yeah and then all hell breaks loose yeah and then so then it's these long extended takes so i feel like um when you watch movies that are in a single take there's a novelty element like victoria there's a novelty element almost as if you're saying is this going to work right i mean obviously the, they released the one that worked yeah but there's still a feeling and you were like is there are they going to pull this off yeah and every time you watch it you're like wow look what they're look at that that's one take and so even though it's cool I think that it's a gimmick that pulls you out of the movie ultimately. Mm. But what I think Noe was able to see out of it was that this is a great opportunity to fuck with my audience. Yeah, yeah. The longer I can dangle these shots, and if I can make them only subtly aware that we're doing something technical, and they're going to almost feel like that balancing act, and I can break that, and I can cut, and I can do something. Because even in the edit-, the edit of Climax, in most of the cuts, there's a little black piece between each shot
0: yeah it's like a, a clean a clean splice like exactly a clean, yeah so
1: they don't actually cut seamlessly as right. most films do because the other thing is that usually editing the point of that is that you were supposed to make the film immersive right the audience is not supposed to notice the cuts It's you create this whole world via the cut and now in climax he's going to throw that shit out the window <laughs> and just give you a black shot in between major cuts so that you're always aware of the edit and now so now you're out of pace the shots aren't aren't paced properly. The music is pounding. The cameras, these long takes, and then it cuts dramatically. So we're just totally disoriented. And again, that's another way that he's in charge of his craft. And he's like, I'm going to make my cuts even consciously aware. The audience will be consciously aware of my cuts. And yet it's still going to throw them off. It's not going to take them out. It's going to suck them in. That's just a lot of forethought. That's just a smart filmmaker. So yeah. So anyway, so Victoria is also about going to a nightclub and meeting somebody that isn't quite, as nice as maybe she thought
0: Mm. and so
1: it's kind of a suspense thriller film kind of a modern film the nightlife how dangerous it is to meet strangers and then of course it's also done all in one take
0: right on yeah so that's multiple levels on how it's like a similar kind of thing yeah so yeah that's cool right on Mm -hmm. i've never heard of that one um all right well uh my final puzzle piece um obviously we don't see the uh the, uh, hallucinations that these people are going through. However, uh, their reactions as non-actors, except for, uh, Sophia Boutella, um, is pretty great of, I mean, you could tell these people are, you know, really just kind of losing it and, uh, and really hallucinating like crazy. And so I thought of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh, um, good, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just... Picturing what they're seeing and what they're experiencing um, was pretty fun because some of their reactions are pretty great. I think they did a really great job for not being, you know, actual actors or just dancers. You I know? think so too. Yeah. yeah, they they felt like like full people. You know, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's tough, to, especially in that type of movie, to make people feel three dimensional. Yeah, but they just felt so real. There was almost like a documentary vibe to it. Yeah, absolutely. Know? But yeah, no, I can definitely see like the. I mean, it's funny when I when. I first watched Fear and Loathing, um, and it took me a long time to actually finish it because mm. it was so, like, frustrating. You know, I was just like, stop taking drugs. Like, you know, yeah. I was like, just, yeah. And so, yeah, you know, and so that was, it's an interesting experience to where I felt the pressure of their, of their trip. Right, And I right. kind of felt like, so yeah, I could, I definitely see a relationship there as well. Right on. Uh,
0: what do you got for another puzzle piece?
1: So, I have a few. So, and that was your last one, right? That was my last So, one. I'm going to just do, I'm going to mention a couple quick things sure. and i won't kind of go off into a, a crazy tangent
0: okay hopefully <laughs> fingers crossed we'll see what happens right
1: we're gonna i'm not gonna limit myself too much no i'm just kidding <laughs> um so the first thing i'll mention is maybe called the towering inferno mm. uh because it's basically trapped people trapped by a fire and how do they escape and even though that's something a little bit more on the less trippy end of it sure there feels it, there's there's this inf, uh close this um confinement element to climax because one of the characters is pushed out into the snow and freezes to death actually. Yeah. So they seem like they're in a pretty remote place. They either don't have the faculties to leave or they can't leave for a variety of reasons. We don't know exactly, but they're kind of like locked in this hell. Yeah. And while the fire and towering inferno is a more of a traditional imagery of hell, then the light, the redness, the trapped element, the multiple people, many characters trying to survive. I think it draws from almost like the old school horror of a towering inferno. Sure. Um the next thing I'm going to mention is a movie called The Mother and the whore. And this is really about this is like this is one of those like highly intellectual French movies. Uh it's about like a a misogynistic chauvinistic guy that basically sleeps with a bunch of people and um then he meets this girl Veronica who's a kind of like sexually liberated and he basically just has a crush on her and tries to sleep with her Like well, that's like the premise of the movie <laughs> it takes place in like 1960s paris so that i think uh for me it's more about like the culture element because there was a french element to climax obviously it's a french film so it's in french language yeah but there's also uh i think it's funny when we i think as outsiders and i don't know if noe knows this but as outsiders we have this Kind of glorification of a place like Paris, like I do personally, that's my favorite city in the world. I could be in the ghetto in Paris and I'm like floating on in clouds. Like I love sure. you. Know, I mean, and I don't, you know, it's, it's because I'm bringing a romantic projection onto it. Right, right. To how a lot of Europeans feel about America. Mm. You know, I mean, they think they, 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 this is the American dream. Oh, they, Las they believe. Vegas. Yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. Stucco <laughs> and air conditioning. You know, it's like, um, so when I think about the, the mother and the whore, uh, obviously it's it's a sexualized film. It's a cultural film. It has a 60s Parisian vibe. And I think that was kind of carried into climax. I think mm. there's almost like a psychedelic 60s quality to climax. Obviously there's a French element to it. So there's just things that were a parallel for me. Right on. Uh, the other thing I'm going to mention is Eraserhead. Okay. Because I think it's one of those cornerstone horror films of surrealism that I think you just really can't get away from. I think it's disturbing almost in a similar way as Eraserhead right IMAX on.
0: was. Yeah, yeah, no, I could see that for sure. You know what I mean? Because yeah.
1: there's a, there's a surrealism and a discomfort. Yeah. Uh, sound design is so crucial in Eraserhead nowadays. Eraserhead is often studied uh, for its use of sound design how revolutionary it was and how effective it was to creating this eerie world and atmosphere. And I think, Climax, it wouldn't be what it was without its music.
0: Yeah, you know, speaking of sound design uh, and the music too, but, um, you know, just to quickly, as we wrap this up, uh, go back to poor Tio uh, electrocuting himself, <laughs> yeah. that chunky boom as the yeah. lights went out. Oh, yeah. wow. That was, yeah, that, that really got you, you yeah. know? <laughs> now, just the screaming down the hallway. Oh, yeah. Well, we
1: would hear screams from yeah. a different part of the building. Yeah, yeah. You know, these were extremely effective things. Oh, yeah. Uh, the girl whose head cut on fire, you could hear her screaming oh, as she yeah. runs away. You that's know? when it was
0: like, just really like, wow. Like yeah. just off the fucking deep end. Yeah. It's <laughs> one of the, I
1: think for me it was, I think all this happened when she basically forces an abortion on that girl by punching her in the stomach. Yeah. yeah. For me, I was like, okay, we're, yeah, uh, yeah. we're in a no way film. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got it. I'm in. Um, oh, next thing I want to mention really quick is a okay. movie called Fox and His Friends by mm-hmm. Rainer Werner Fossbender. Uh, uh, Noe came out and actually said, I wanted to make a movie like Renner Verner Fossbender. So I feel like it was, I mean, Fossbender made over 35 films, uh, oh, closer to 40 films. Actually, he died at 36. So that's the kind of output he was doing. So mm. it was a lot. I think his entire catalog is something that was going to be influenced you know, through climax, but that film in particular, um, I mentioned a movie called angst. Uh, which is about a troubled man who gets released from prison and starts taking out his sadistic fantasies on an unsuspecting family living in a secluded home. Hmm. And I just read that synopsis because it was harder to. I was like, how am I going to summarize this? Yeah. Movie? Right. So That's yeah. Good. So that one, it's just a violent, bizarre. Uh, that to me, it's like an it's like a discharge, an exercise of this violent tendency.
0: Sure. Sure. And I think
1: climax is almost like that too. Even in the word climax, even the title. It represents this like discharge, this
0: mm.
2: this
1: like crescendo, this thing that we're arriving at. Yeah, yeah, And angst has that same idea with like these feelings are bottling up in this character, and then he just exercises this demon in him, like on this family. Mm. There's yeah, this yeah. kind of like release element that's bodily, that's a philosophical idea. It's it's very disturbing. So there's something there. And then the last one I'm going to mention, and we can talk about it just for a moment longer, is the Lars von Trier film Antichrist.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, have you seen Antichrist? I, You know what? I
0: never have seen Antichrist. Don't that, see it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Lars von Trier. You can miss it. Sure, sure. Um, But, yeah, no, I remember when it came out. and I'd, I'd heard a lot about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple. There's some clit snipping in that. They yeah, cut off a clitoris yeah. with a scissor. Yeah. She bashes uh, Willem Dafoe's penis with a large piece of wood and then no. ejaculates his blood. Yeah. No. Fun stuff for the yeah. kids, for the family. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... To me, it's funny because another thing I read about this film is that there was a deliberate attempt to, to make a Lars von Trier type movie mm. with this movie. And the reason why I wanted to bring up Antichrist is because it has so much potential. Like Lars von Trier is not untalented; he's just an idiot. I mean, he does—he's just not smart enough for his, for what his movies suggest. <laughs> right. And um, and I don't think that's the case with Noé. I think he's actually as smart as his movies. You know, I think he's putting out. You know, he knows what he's doing. He has more of a sure hand. Doesn't always work. He takes risks, and sometimes it's better than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was attempting to make a Lars Von Trier film by making something that just is trying to elicit or elicit a reaction from us.
0: Right, right, right.
1: And uh, and just to kind of bring it full circle and kind of mention what I said earlier, and you know, when it works, it works. Yeah, you know, I I feel it's almost insulting. When I watch a Lars von Trier film, he's like, I'm just trying to get a reaction out of you. Because he wraps it in this intellectual mumbo jumbo.
0: Right, right. But then
1: Noe, who was obviously inspired or admires Lars von Trier in some way, shape, or form, and set out deliberately to make a movie modeled after his films, supersedes all of every von Trier film I've seen. It supersedes it. He actually makes it better because he's ultimately true to himself. He strips down these ideas to their nuts and bolts. He makes them human and scary and terrifying and visceral. All, you know, it leaves all that bullshit intellectualism, that pseudo intellectualism at the door that yeah. we get a lot with von Traer. He makes just a just a blood curdling human sweaty. I was sweaty.
0: Yeah, I was sweaty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it's it's a very unique kind of horror that like um you know just really kind of cuts through. Yeah, you know? yeah. Transcends all
1: it's all the things we tie all these puzzle pieces. Yeah, it's ironic that they they you could put it together but i don't even think you'd get climax yeah right? i think this is the first putting it uh, piecing it together podcast yeah where you, you're gonna list the puzzle i'm gonna list
0: these puzzle pieces but and they're guess not, what
1: yeah it's not climax it's not gonna happen so go for it
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right so the finished puzzle we've got shivers sallow or the 120 days of sodom uncien andalu inauguration of the pleasure dome suspiria zombie Querelle, mother, possession, zombie movies, frostbitten, event horizon, irreversible, green room, Victoria, fear and loathing in Las Vegas, the towering inferno, the mother and the whore, eraser head, Fox and his friends, angst and Antichrist, mm-hmm.
1: not to be confused with Fox and Friends.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: That's also scary. Yeah, it's it's not it's
1: climax isn't as scary as one viewing of fox and friends Mm -hmm. just put it that way
0: so closing thoughts i i do want to mention one thing to you here that you did not bring up and i i uh i found this on imdb i don't know there there was no uh citation or anything so i don't know if it's correct or whatever uh but you being my stanley kubrick loving friend yeah uh apparently in the trivia section Gaspar noe says he wanted to make a psychological drama that is the counterpoint to Stanley Kubrick's 2001, so much so that instead of seeing the apes evolve into humans, Climax is like the humans going back to being apes. Humans going back to their original forces. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: That's a little too much. <laughs> no, a little no too no. much for you. No,
1: no, I I eat that shit up.
2: That's yeah. great. Yeah.
0: No. I think it's bullshit. Yeah. But uh, I <laughs> that, d- that that plays right into what we were saying earlier, that it's like you could attach a lot of meaning, but yeah. it's like it's really just like fucking with you and like doing Dark,
1: yeah. Dark, I, sure. I mean, I totally believe that Noe said that. Mm. I, but I would bet a billion dollars that he came up with that after the fact, <laughs> yeah, so. right. Um, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, most great films are open to interpretation. You can talk to anyone about maholland Drive, and it's going to be different, you know, every time you talk to them. Every, yeah, you, know, you can't really nail that film down. So, good films, uh, a lot of times that's a generalization, but good films for the most part are fairly ambiguous, mm. um. I mean, that's the thing is 2001 A Space Odyssey is the ultimate art house masterpiece. It's sure. the ultimate art film. You know what I mean? And it, it has, the it, to me, it's some of the headiest, most challenging philosophical filmmaking of all time. And yet, it's not this standoffish intellectual movie. You know, that's the thing with Stanley always, it's people you know, say that, oh, he's kind of cold and calculating and intellectual. Right. But you can, I mean, when he turns off Hal 9000. In that red room. Yeah. You know, that's emotional. Yeah. When yeah. the German girl sings, uh, to all the French soldiers, at the end of paths of glory, that's emotional, you know? So these are, he's a, he was a, a very emotional filmmaker is a visceral filmmaker and I have no doubt in my mind that Noe was influenced by Stanley. Sure. I had The Shining on my list, but I, I didn't mention it. I had too many that's movies. restraint, ladies and Because guess what? It's influenced by The Shining. And guess what? It's influenced by 2001. Show me a movie that's made that isn't influenced by 2001. Sure, sure. And I will sell you a pink donkey.
0: <laughs> well, aside from going into a whole Shining spiel, do you have any other uh, final notes on this movie?
1: Uh, no, just that it, just that it confounds me. That's the thing is I love finding movies that, uh, go against these, you know, these rules that I, you set for yourself and not willingly. You sometimes you just get it in your head of like, this is a good movie and this is a bad movie. And I try to refrain from that a lot. I mean, I have my opinions. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. You guys have to listen to me talk about them, <laughs> but, um. But yeah, you what's know, the thing is the the really ultimately though, I just love movies. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I love movies and all of these arbitrary rules are exactly that. They're arbitrary and they, and they and they leave the moment that I find a movie that, that I connect with that happens to break those rules. That's why it's a big jerk off. So, um, you know, I, I just love cinema. And so when I saw Climax, it felt like a it felt like a trip truly to to something cinematic. And I've been very fortunate to be able to talk about a handful of movies on this program mm-hmm. where I felt that way. Cause it's pretty rare actually. I've been lucky, like a handful of movies we've talked about I've described as cinematic. And it's almost like losing its value. Cause like every time I'm on here, like it's purely cinema. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> but it is rare. Yeah. It's not, you know, you get one or two movies a year that really feel like it's a film, that it could it doesn't have it couldn't be a book, it couldn't be a comic book, it couldn't be a theater play. You know, and Climax could be nothing but a film. Sure. They use all of those components to tell us, to tell us, I don't know, not a story, but tell us a feeling, tell us an atmosphere, tell us a place and time, uh, show us an exercise. And that's just a fun journey. So be scared. It's Let yourself be scared. I doubt you'll be desensitized because it's pretty shocking stuff. Ironically, it's not as shocking as some of his other films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Irreversible was, was, more disturbing because it was realer. Sure, sure. Although I guess you could always drink spiked sangria and kill your friends. (laughs) That's pretty real too, I guess. Yeah, join a dance
0: troupe in France.
1: Yeah, that's very possible. Yeah, yeah. But like the rape sequence in Irreversible left a burn mark on my brain. Right. You know, truly disturbing. And to me, that has more of a political connotation to it because this is a crime that that is a, that's suffered by real people. I mean, yeah, so does yeah. murder. But we, I mean, we've had such a suspension of disbelief for murder in yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. We look at movies like, eh,
0: no big deal. Right, Everyone's it doesn't mean killed. anything anymore.
1: Yeah, and so yeah, I mean, it, strangely, it, it's a tamer movie than some of his past films. Uh, but I think it's even more effective. To me, it's more distilled. Mm. You know, it's. I think it's. His, it's his first R rating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, that maybe there maybe people will think he's going soft. Yeah, right. But I don't think so. I think it's a distilled. Version. It's a crystalline version of what his films are. It's probably his best movie besides Irreversible. Irreversible was like an early career stroke of
0: genius, right? Right. You know, it was
1: like lightning in a bottle, and it is like he had, and I don't know. I think he lucked into it. Yeah. Honestly, I think a lot was, of
0: people don't get that twice. No. I mean, you know.
1: I think he had big enough balls to make Irreversible, and I think he made it at a time where it was more acceptable to make those types of films. I don't know if it would do as well now. Right. So he kind of got lucky. It was lightning in a bottle. But Climax is a much much more together film and it's better. And I think it's uh, definitely worth seeing and seeing a big screen if possible. with Good sound.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, I think that wraps it up. Chris um, want to recommend something. And then I know you just launched your new website. So you want to plug that as well?
1: Sure. Thanks. Um, so recommendations. Let's see. I saw the beach bum. I liked the Beach Bum. Mm. It wasn't brilliant, yeah. but it was good. Yeah. And it was funny. Yeah. Man, was it funny. Much funnier than I thought it was going to be. Right, right. Um, I mean, it's no gummo, but it's <laughs> a pretty good Harmony Corinne film. So yeah, you should check out Beach Bum. And as uh, you were saying, I just launched uh, the official website for a movie that I've told you guys about a little bit on some previous shows. It's called Mad X. It's the feature film that I'm making. The website is www.obviously um, X Movie. so it's just the letter X, MadMxMovie.com, and it's going to have all the information about my movie that's uh, in development and pre-production at the moment. Uh, this is the one that I've mentioned a few times that has the support of the Kubrick family that will be featuring the original paintings of Christian Kubrick uh, as they've, they've appeared in, in Eyes Wide Shut and A Clockwork Orange, and they will be a, a part of my film. It's a huge honor. Uh, so there's all kinds of information about our insane team. We just signed on a legendary... Gaffer a gentleman by name uh, by uh, the name Jim Planet he did ET and Braveheart and Young Frankenstein and a mm. lot of Steven Soderbergh films so we just signed him on to do the film with us, and we're extremely excited. We have a, just a team of legends making this film. So go to the website. Check all that stuff out. You can read about our team and what we have and the Kubrick Association, uh, which I'm, of course, deeply humbled by
0: and totally blown away by.
1: So, yeah, it's really cool. So go ahead and you can subscribe, and you'll get updates on the movie as we confirm more and more stuff and get this thing made.
0: Sounds great, man. Well... I think we did it. You want to go dance or something? Yeah. You have any sangria? I do. Let's do it. Let's do it. Picture it. A woman hates Christmas. After she
1: loses her corporate job, she's forced to go back to the small town where she came from, where she helps her parents save their failing Christmas tree business. While she's there, she runs into her ex-boyfriend, who she dumped a decade ago, to move to the big city. And they
0: fall in love. And she learns the meaning of Christmas. Yes, another Hallmark movie. A Lifetime of Hallmark, where three guys talk about movies on the Hallmark and Lifetime channel and try to make sense of them. Find us anywhere where you can download podcasts. All right, so that does it for today's conversation about Climax. Again, I really hope you go seek this movie out. Uh, It's still playing in some theaters, so hopefully it's in one by you, and if not, then just have a fun night at home watching it because it is crazy. Uh, So, yeah, that does it for today. Uh, Thank you to Chris Cranach for being here again. I always love having him on the show. Uh, We will be doing a whole bunch of... New episodes here in the coming weeks. Uh, we actually recorded five new episodes this week, or actually three so far, and we've got two more scheduled for during the week. So by the time you hear this, it'll be four, and then five. So yeah, we we got a lot of episodes we're recording. We got a lot of episodes to post, and a lot more piecing it together. So make sure you are subscribed on your podcast app of choice. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. That would be amazing if you did that. We'd love to hear what you're thinking of the show. And you can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Check out our website, piecingpod.com, and sign up for the mailing list. And last but not least, join our Facebook group, Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group, where the conversation continues about all of these movies that we talk about on the show and more. So that about does it. I'm going to leave you guys with a piece of music. And I think I've played this on the show before, but I think it fits for a movie like Climax. So this is a track called Head on Fire from my third album, Head Like Fire. So check it out. Enjoy it. uh, Drink some sangria. Have some fun. And we'll be back soon.